Today's podcast is brought to you by Howie's new book, Paperboy. To order today, go to HowieCarshow.com and click on store. Live from the Aviva Trattoria studio, it's the Grace Curley Show. we got to bring in a new voice, a young voice, a rising voice, Grace Curley. You can read Grace's work in the Boston Herald and the Spectator. Especially, Grace, Grace, stand up. Here's the millennial with the mic, Grace Curley. Welcome back, everyone, to the Grace Curley Show. I I can't think of anyone who I would rather have on today to discuss the Hunter Biden indictment rather than Ben Weingarten. He is a frequent guest of this show, and you can all follow him on Twitter at BH Weingarten, where he posts all of his stories. He writes for various publications, and he investigates a lot of things. And one thing, Ben, that I appreciated was you immediately put out your initial thoughts on the Hunter Biden indictment, and you did mention as we talked about in the first hour, the IRS whistleblowers and the impact they had on this case and how really none of this would have happened without them. But then the second part of your um, of your thoughts involved the fact that that doesn't mean the DOJ is done covering this up. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, first off, thanks for having me, Grace, and for the kind words. Yeah, so from my vantage point, despite the fact that we're a little bit closer to justice today because more of the crimes that the DOJ has been sitting on for years now have actually been charged against Hunter Biden. In this nine-count indictment, there are three felony offenses. He faces a maximum 17 years behind bars, and these are serious offenses. I mean, it's not as if tax evasion is anything to scoff at or, you know, willfully defrauding the government in the documents that you're filing. However, we're still tangential to the core set of crimes or alleged crimes that not only implicate Joe Biden, but really that compromise our national security and our foreign policy and loom over all of the biggest issues of the day on the world stage. And that is that while the prosecutors are focused on the tax crimes, they still have not charged anything associated with the actual business that generated the millions of dollars that Hunter Biden used to then pay for prostitutes and fund his drug-addled, debauched lifestyle. So this is still, in a sense, part of the cover-up, because what's not charged in this indictment? No unregistered Foreign Agent Registration Act charges, which, of course, the government loves to use against Republicans and other opponents of the regime. No charges associated with money laundering, the way they try to cover up the illicit business, and a slew of other potential related charges as well. So we're still not at the point of the actual Biden family influence peddling operation that generated all these ill-gotten gains, millions of dollars flowing down through all these shell companies, even down to Joe Biden's grandkids. We're still at the tangential crimes. And it's sort of like the DOJ was caught in the cover-up. So what do they do first? They try to conjure up the sham plea deal really quickly because of what the whistleblowers brought to bear. That was almost an admission of guilt because it was such a sham, so unprecedented, and fell apart within a couple hours of questioning from a judge. And thank God, by the way, another hero in this is Judge Nareka from Delaware, who didn't rubber stamp that sham plea deal. Then David Weiss has to come forward and say, well, you know what, I actually do need special counsel, special prosecutor authority. And now we are going to start bringing some charges. And then we wait months until they actually bring the tax charges. 
But again, the tax charges are still one step removed from the really damning stuff that Americans should care about more than the lurid details, however disgusting they are, in this document. And that is the Biden family influence peddling scheme and what it means when Joe Biden is interacting and his administration is interacting and making policy towards China, Russia, Ukraine, or a whole host of other adversaries that we face. Yeah. And what I appreciate about this, uh, Ben, is sometimes when I'm looking at all these charges and all these stories, I'm I'm consuming a lot and it can feel complicated. But what you did in these initial thoughts is you asked a really simple question. How was this money earned? And, you know, it's one of those expressions people always say, follow the money. Why does it seem like in this case with Hunter Biden, we have all these resources, we have all these investigators, we have all these agencies. Why are they having such a hard time figuring that out? Is this kind of like a purposeful, oh, you know, it's too complicated for us, we can't track it? I know James Comer's doing his best, but it feels like when there's other criminals involved in something, they're able to figure out how the money was earned pretty quickly. And in this case, it's still a mystery. Yeah, well, when it comes to those in House oversight and leading the impeachment inquiry, it's clear that they're collecting all of these suspicious activity reports, dozens of them from banks, clear evidence of mischief and criminality and corruption afoot. They're trying to subpoena all of the associated bank records, and they are doing what investigators presumably had already done. And if they didn't, what serves as a damning indictment of what the FBI and the DOJ were cooking up during this case. But we know that they were systemically obstructing the investigation would not allow investigators to pursue anything even remotely related to Joe Biden. Tipped off Hunter Biden's team to the fact that they were going to investigate a storage unit that had many of the potentially damaging documents. Tipped off Hunter Biden to the fact he was going to face an interview from investigators. And we can go on and on in terms of the raft of evidence indicating the DOJ worked overtime, did everything possible not to pursue all of these leads. We've just found out in the last day the House Ways and Means Committee has put out some excerpts from the testimony, more recent testimony this week from the IRS whistleblowers. And what they show is that in every single respect, investigators and prosecutors did nothing to pursue Joe Biden. When there were clear and obvious leads, links, ties, and coordination with Joe Biden. So this was a systematic effort to not bring to justice those who should be brought to justice, to not pursue the leads that would be screaming for investigation. And that was what compelled the IRS whistleblowers to come forward in the first place, because they saw things in this investigation that, in their own words, they never saw in any other investigation. And it shouldn't the standard be incredibly high when you're talking about potentially imperiling U.S. national security with compromise from the Russians or the Chinese, or other nefarious sources. You have to pursue those leads. It's your duty. It's your obligation to the Constitution and the country to do it. They did everything possible not to do that here. And that's why what still stinks about this whole thing is that David Weiss was the one overseeing that investigation, and David Weiss is now the one empowered with special counsel authority who is going to be able to write a final report at the end of his investigation to basically absolve himself and the DOJ of all sins in this. 
I'm speaking with Ben Weingarten. He's the editor-at-large at Real Clear Investigates. And Ben, something else I wanted to point out here is everything you just talked about is just adds to the fact that Hunter Biden, who's now trying to claim there's a political witch hunt against him, it just makes it even more preposterous. But you actually have this theory that if the DOJ has to point out the fact that this is not a political witch hunt and kind of all of the ways that they bent over backwards to make this go away for, for Hunter, that they actually might inadvertently indict themselves. Yeah, they're kind of caught between a rock and a hard place here. And this is the tension that's existed since the whistleblowers came forward, which is, on the one hand, you're going to argue that you're now vigorously investigating and prosecuting. But on the other hand, this only happened because it was shown that you were not vigorously investigating and prosecuting. So Hunter Biden's team, and they've kind of laid out this narrative really from the start of 2023, and we've seen this in the reporting on how the investigation and non-prosecution and then finally sort of prosecution unfolded, they were laying out to the Justice Department, do you really want to be framed as engaging in a political witch hunt against Hunter Biden, which is laughable when you know that they let the statutes of limitation lapse on the most serious crimes and did everything possible not to bring charges against Hunter Biden. But Hunter Biden's team is going to make the case, look, this investigation started under Donald Trump, and now I guess Merrick Garland's Justice Department under the quote-unquote Trump-appointed David Weiss, even though he was pushed by the two Democrat senators from Delaware, that suddenly this is a political witch hunt in Hunt, on Hunter's home turf of Delaware that the Biden family controls. So they're caught between a rock and a hard place. When that argument is presented potentially in court and during a trial, and Hunter Biden's team says this is a political witch hunt, is the DOJ going to say, well, actually, we went incredibly soft on you the whole way? It's going to be very difficult for them to square that circle. But I guess if anyone can try and do it, it's the Merrick Garland Justice Department. Ben Weingarten, we appreciate ha- we appreciate your time. I know you're very busy and we love having you on. I-, I would like to give you the mic here just for a minute. Um, I would love your reaction to the congressional hearing with the three presidents, one from Harvard, one from MIT and one from UPenn. Their response for uh, to students calling for the genocide of Jews. And-, and furthermore, just a response to what we've been seeing over the last couple of weeks since October 7th in general. Um, what do you make of this and is this going to be a real problem for these ivy league schools it seems like their reputations normally i would say oh you know this is going to go away and most things that no one really has to be held accountable but in this case it does seem to be sticking with them well uh, on the first point the the line of questioning from congresswoman stefanik was so basic and the answer should have been so obvious that it's remarkable that you had the almost not even lawyerly but just pathetic responses damning and impeachable responses from these presidents. And the thing is, I think if you had lined up a 100 other university presidents from elite schools and non-elite schools so-called alike, you would have probably gotten similar responses. Mm -hmm. They become free speech absolutists when it comes to genocide against the Jews. But in every other occasion, if you engage in a microaggression, if you misgender someone, that's a hanging offense on college campuses. That's going to be the end of your career if you're a professor. Your tenure could be imperiled if you do that. The students could be taken out of school because they impinged upon a safe space for other students. So the hypocrisy is obvious. But the thing is, this is a feature, not a bug, of schools that are in hoc to DEI, of which Jew hatred and ultimately hatred of America and the West is intrinsic to it. Follow the money here as well. You have wealthy donors who are on the left. You have 
foreign adversaries who flow millions, in some cases billions of dollars, into the schools. You have left-wing activist groups, certainly supportive. You have foreign students from adversarial nations who pay full freight. So, and then you have, of course, the administrators, the faculty, and the students who were all on the same side here. So a university president, just like a corporate CEO, they would probably make the case, well, I'm just responding to my constituents by giving answers that should have no place in the West. It should be pretty simple to say, yeah, if you're advocating for genocide on campus, you're probably violating our policies. I think that's a pretty basic thing. It's not once the genocide happens, then you police it on a campus. In no other instance would they ever take that position. Broader point is the schools, and we've talked about this before, are totally corrupted. There is a left Islamic axis that exists. I wrote that book, American Ingrate, on Ilhan Omar, which said this was the ascendant view in the Democrat Party, and this intersectional coalition was the future, if not its present. And we're seeing future generations of it right now in real time advocate out in the streets. But even scarier is that the very policies they support in more buttoned-up form are flowing out of the Biden administration. And that is the most disturbing and dangerous aspect of this of all. Ben Weingarten, sir, we thank you so much for joining us. You are a wealth of knowledge and everyone should follow Ben at B.H. Weingarten. And Ben, tell other tell people where else they can find your work. Yep. Please subscribe to my Substack, weingarten.substack.com. I email out all my pieces and commentary there. And again, Grace, thanks as always. Really appreciate it. Awesome, awesome stuff. And, and there's just so there's just so much to get through in a given day. Um, all right, when we come back, we will take your calls on this. As Ben said, the bigger issue here is how did they earn this money? You know, what were they selling? <laughs> were they selling their brand, the Biden brand, hair sniffing and smoking Parmesan cheese? I don't really know what the brand is, but we're going to go through some of Hunter Biden's spending habits. Now, Jared, it's it's almost time for Christmas. And Christmas is so fun, especially when you're younger. Christmas is really fun. But when you get older, it gets stressful. And leading up to this to this magical day, you're supposed to be enjoying this season. You're supposed to be soaking in the coziness of the fireplace and having fun. But you can get really stressed out and people don't take advantage of this time of year. Yeah, but luckily there is still a place where you can do all that. And it's not really that far from most of our listeners. It's the Nauset Beach Inn in Orleans, on Orleans Beach. It is the most tranquil place I've ever stayed. Uh, you talked about the fireplace and the cozy feeling. Every room at the Nasset Beach Inn has a fireplace in the room and a giant picture window to give you a view of the ocean so you can stay in, you can stay cozy. Or if you're a little more adventurous, they actually have fire pits outside. So you can go outside, you can sit there in front of a nice warm fire and just stare out at the beach. Um, if you want to, you can take your pet. It's pet friendly, so you can take your dog down. You can go for a walk on the beach. I was there uh, right before Christmas a couple of years ago, and uh, the, the trees were up. The ambiance was great. Uh, my wife and I were down there. We loved that we could watch the sunrise just right outside of our room, uh, sitting by the fire pits. You can see stars, the moonrise. You walk on the beach, and it's the Cape in winter. And everybody knows the Cape in winter is so much easier to get reservations. It's It's calmer. It's just got a very nice feel. It's a very relaxing, tranquil place to go. 
And it's a great place to go ahead of the holidays. And right now you can stay at the Nasa Beach Inn for under $200 this winter. So don't delay. These rooms go fast. It's a great place to stay. And you want to go to NossetBeachInn.com. If you want to get all of that coziness, all of that wonderful, peaceful relaxation that Jared just talked about, go to NossetBeachInn.com. That's NossetBeachInn.com. Reserve your room today. We'll be right back. Hi, it's Toby from Cape Gunworks. I'm taking all your firearm and self-defense questions every Tuesday. Join Grace and me for 2A Tuesday, Tuesdays at 2 p.m. This is the Grace Curley Show. Welcome back, everyone, to the Grace Curley Show. Today's poll question is brought to you by Perfect Smiles. Don't be fooled by imposters with similar names. If you're not happy with your smile, there's there's no reason to live a life where you're not happy with your smile. You can make a change. You can visit Dr. Bruce Houghton in Nashua, or you can call one eight four four a perfect smile, or you can visit perfectsmiles.com. Jared Diglio is on the board per usual. And Jared, what is the poll question and what are the results thus far? Today's poll question, which you can vote in at gracecurlyshow.com, is do you think Joe will pardon Hunter? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. 96% now believe that he will. I notice you're wearing 4% a... 4% are still holding out hope. You're wearing a Patriots hat today. I am. Is that because they won? You decided you're not as embarrassed as you might have been yesterday no, to wear that? No, it's because I actually stayed up to watch the game and I didn't have time to take a shower today. <laughs> so, TMI for everyone. Uh, just toss the hat on. I couldn't believe they won. I didn't watch the game because it's just too depressing now to tune into these things. Well, but I, I was happy for them. Yeah, my, my wife has Amazon Prime, so it's like the... Because we cut, cut the court, so it's like the one game I could watch. So I was like, all right, I'll stay up and watch it. And, you know, I cleaning up the the boys stuff and watching the game and you know it was it was nice night to myself and then I, all of a sudden at 9 45 it's halftime i'm like this is way too late yeah for halftime to be coming around somebody had to watch it but i'm glad congratulations. it was congratulations and they still have the number two pick right now so everybody's a winner and mike you're next up on the grace curly show go ahead mike hello grace how are you i'm good what's going on um i have a question and a comment um something i heard on Jeff Cooner's show this morning, he said something to the effect of if a president exercises his um, constitutional right to pardon someone, that he can't run for office again. And that kind of piqued my interest, and, and I wasn't sure if that was true or not. So I started looking it up when I got to work. I couldn't find anything on it. I don't think so that's my true. my first question is, you don't think that's true? I don't think so, because people, presidents have pardoned people, unless... If a president, does a president wait? Okay, so here's a good question. Here's a good question. If you're a president, right, and you win your second term, like Trump pardoned a bunch of people. No, that, that can't be true because Trump pardoned people and he's running again. Yeah, so no, that can't be true. But go ahead, Mike. What was your second point? Well, it kind of hinged on whether or not that was true or not. Um, let's just say for the sake of arguing that it is, um, that kind of puts um, Joe Biden into a pickle if Hunter gets prosecuted and sent to jail. Uh, let's, again, assuming that this is true, uh, that he can't run for office again, does he pardon his son and have to drop out of the race? Or does he let his son rot in jail 
and run for office again, you know, on his own selfish. Well, Mike, um, this is based on a lot of hypotheticals. I don't think it's true. First of all, I think you can pardon people. I think it's just something presidents, I mean, a lot of presidents do this unless they all wait for their second term. But Trump knew he was going to run again. do pardon throughout the term. A lot of them do wait until the end of their final term. Now, the second part of that is I don't think, I don't think in any world Hunter Biden's rotting in a prison. He might be painting in a fancy pad in L.A., but I don't think he's the rotting in prison type. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, thank you for the call. We'll be right back. We're going to go through some of Hunter's spending. Don't go anywhere. Live from the Aviva Trattoria studio. The six-page court filing of federal grand jury in California has returned a nine-count indictment charging Hunter Biden with three felony tax offenses and six misdemeanor tax charges. The sprawling indictment alleges the president's son engaged in a four-year scheme to avoid paying on at least $1.4 million in federal taxes. He is also accused of taking false business deductions to reduce his tax liability. The indictment says he spent millions on an extravagant lifestyle, including drugs, escorts, luxury hotels and exotic cars, rather than paying the IRS. Yes, and she's right. Catherine Herridge is right. But Ben Weingarten, who we had on earlier in this hour, and if you missed any of today's show or any of the show ever, wherever you get your podcast, we have them up right after we finish at three o'clock. What Ben Weingarten asked, Jared, is such a basic question. Like We're talking about how he didn't pay taxes on all these millions. How did he get the millions in the first place? I know he's a lawyer using air quotes. Can we see a W-2 maybe? Yeah, like, what, what, how do you earn all this? Now, typically I'd say he earned it like Bernie Sanders and his dad and his stepmom, Dr. B. I would say he earned it the same way all of these millionaire and billionaires do through his book. But he was writing the book while he was paying for these escorts and these exotic cars and all of this stuff and taking out $700,000, $500,000, all this money from ATMs. He was writing a memoir. So it wasn't a book deal that landed him this millions of dollars. He didn't have a Spotify deal with Barack Obama. How did he make said money that he then did not pay taxes on? I'm not a lawyer. I don't even know if I've ever played one when I was a thespian. Did I ever play a lawyer? Probably not. I don't think I did. And I don't pretend to be a legal beagle by any means. But this to me is actually really simple. When you kind of quiet the noise, it's very simple. And it's amazing that... Only one side of the media, and it's a very small, it's one, one faction, like one tiny little piece of the media cares about this enough to look into it. Now, I want to talk about what he did spend his money on. I think the more important question, as I just said, is how he made this money. But if we're going to talk about how he didn't pay taxes on it, we should talk about what he did spend the money on. Will Scharf on Twitter broke this down and he actually included a lot of different images of the indictment for us to reference he started off though by making a little song he's making a list deducting it twice gonna find out which stripper he likes hunter biden's coming to town 
So let's get into it. What is Hunter spending all of this money on? Between 2016 and October 15, 2020, sweet, Jared. Jared always knows it's never going to be that simple. Oh, she's going to read. She's going to read for a couple minutes. It's not going to be that simple. You know what I need here. I need a little... I need to set the scene. I need a little background music. I don't know what kind. I'm going to let Jared decide. But we need something. Between, okay, that's like dirty rats. Between 2016 and October 15, 2020, the defendant spent this money on drugs, escorts, and girlfriends, luxury hotels, and rental properties, exotic cars, clothing, and other items of a personal nature. In short, everything but his taxes. So here is a message he sent to his assistant after he failed to notice his tax return sitting on his own desk for over a month. He wrote, Also, I just saw last week the unmarked envelope in the office requiring signatures for my taxes. I wish someone had told me, but it's my fault for thinking that or for having ignored an email I'm sure one of you sent saying there is a large envelope in the office sitting at the door, which requires 50 signatures, including my ex-wife's. On March 9th, 2018, the defendant's ex-wife texted him that she had discovered their unfiled 2016 tax returns in the trunk of his car. The defendant responded, telling her, The taxes are filed. Those were copies with my assistant's notes. The tax returns had not been filed. The defendant's ex-wife responded telling him they were not copies because they still had checks attached to them and were originals. Hunter told his ex-wife that he couldn't pay alimony because he had to pay his taxes, but then didn't pay his taxes either. Switcheroo. On or about October 13, 2018, instead of responding to his D.C. accountant, the defendant texted his ex-wife that he could not make his alimony payment because the wire came back due to insufficient funds. You know, tuitions, alimony, taxes, rent, Jesus. The defendant had not paid his 2017 taxes when he sent that text. On or about November 27th, his personal assistant advised Hunter that the accountant was trying to reach you regarding taxes. And she then sent him a a breakdown detailing that he had approximately $87,000 in monthly expenses, not including payments for outstanding taxes. The defendant subsequently directed personal assistant two to pay some of his personal expenses, including his boat loan payment, but not his taxes. Hunter forgets at this point to tell his accountants about his forthcoming memoir that contradicts literally everything he is telling them about his business life and expenses. At the same time the defendant was making those representations to the accountants, the defendant was working on his memoir, which was not published until after he filed his 2018 returns and which he did not share with them. Unbeknownst to the accountants, in his memoir, the defendant described 2018 as being dominated by crack cocaine use 24 hours a day, smoking every 15 minutes, seven days a week. Hmm. 
Now, uh, an ant trail of dealers and their side... Oh, this is from his memoir. An ant trail of dealers and their sidekicks rolled in and out day and night. They pulled up in late series' Mercedes Benzes, decked out in oversized Raiders or Lakers jerseys and flashing fake Rolexes. Their stripper girlfriends invited their girlfriends. Who invited their boyfriends? They drink up the entire minibar, call room service for filet mignon and a bottle of Dom Perignon. One of the women even ordered an additional filet for her purse-sized dog. Hunter pays $1,500 to a stripper for artwork. A $1,500 Venmo payment on August 14, 2018. That payment was to an exotic dancer at a strip club. The defendant described the payment in the Venmo transaction as artwork. The exotic dancer had not sold him any artwork. Well, you know, some might say the dance itself could have been seen as artwork. Hunter also loses track of which girlfriends he's paying and how much he's paying them. I think, Jared, I'm going to end it here. There's, There's more to this story. There's definitely more to this story. But I think you all get the idea. Luxury hotels, girlfriends, escorts, drugs. And I know I'm reiterating this fact, but to do all of this and then work on a blueprint of it for everyone to look to, it's really, it's diabolical. It's diabolically dumb to do that. It's Andrew Cuomo-esque. I'm going to do all these things and I'm going to write it down. So that you don't forget, I did all of these things. Molly Hemingway wrote, Defendant spent his money on drugs, escorts, and girlfriends, luxury hotels, and rental properties. She then also wrote, Humble pro tip, do not accidentally give details about the tax fraud you've committed in your own memoir while you can still be charged with crimes. Not paying alimony by claiming you had to pay taxes, but also not paying taxes. Genius. Yeah, he's something else. So Hunter Biden is, he's in the hot seat. And the question is, what's going to happen, if anything? Let's go to the callers here. A lot of people want to talk about Hunter. David, you're up next on the Grace Curley Show. Go ahead, David. Uh, Thanks, Grace. Grace, Hunter Biden had Secret Service protection for years. He had to because he was the son of the vice president. Right. There is no way, with all the activities involved, they knew one way or the other. Somebody in the Secret Service knew the kind of endangered the stuff that he was doing that was endangering the security of our country, that they wouldn't have passed when uh, give the information to their superiors and the president and tell the president, hey, your son's involved in very dangerous activity. Not only that, the fact that he dropped that stupid laptop at a, 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 a very non-essential repair guy, uh, that's proof right there that someone like uh, the Ukraine or Russia could have got access to any of his computer information. So here's this guy involved in this very dangerous activity. There were people in our in, in our government that knew and weren't reporting it. There's no way they didn't know. All that activity is involved, there's no way. Well, well, David, if you look back, I mean, the, the Secret Service were at Chateau Marmont at one point, like knocking on the door for this dude. They were basically his permanent babysitters. I think right now the Secret Service are renting out a, a house in California that's like behind his house. Who knows how much that's costing us per month? He lives in these very lavish estates. But yeah, the Secret Service has been babysitting this guy 
for the last, you know, five, six, seven, eight years, they've been following him around and trying to get a hold of him. And while he's trying to pay off these strippers, the, the, the level of stupidity here, the only thing that matches it is the arrogance. And it's, it's a dangerous cocktail, those two things. Furthermore, I, I just want to read you a little bit from Margot Cleveland because it's easy to get lost in all of all of the shiny objects thrown out here from this indictment. But she points out what was missing from the lengthy indictment, however, was anything new of substance. Because everything I just read, we've done that before. We've done this play before. I always enjoy it, Jared. It's one of those performances that's evergreen, but it's not the first time we're hearing this. On the contrary, the charges were so straightforward and stale that it's incomprehensible they were not brought against Hunter in 2019 or early 2020. The only logical explanation for the delay in charging Hunter is the delay they do for all of this, which is they don't want to interfere in the 2020 election. They only don't want to interfere in the elections if they think it's going to hurt the Democrat candidate. And then, you know, just ask Comey that then they really want to slow walk things. Then they don't want to get involved. Just ask Bill Barr, too. I mean, all these people did the same thing. Oh, we don't want to affect the election. You don't want to affect the election by letting people know what kind of uh, influence peddling scheme one of the candidates is involved in. You want to make up another influence peddling scheme to affect the election. You want to concoct something out of thin air to hopefully undermine a duly elected president. You don't mind getting involved when it comes to making things up. But when it comes to just informing the American electorate about who they're about to vote for, then all hands off. You know, we don't want to we don't want to tip the scales here. Earlier testimony from the IRS whistleblowers bolsters that conclusion. The agents who came forward with complaints of political favoritism shown to the president's son claimed the investigation was slow walked and that they were prevented from taking investigative steps long before the November 2020 election. However, it is not merely the failure of U.S. Attorney Weiss to charge Hunter Biden before the 2020 general election that exposes the malfeasance of the Delaware U.S. Attorney's Office. It is also the sweetheart plea deal Weiss's team offered Hunter Biden. Under that since-soured plea agreement, Hunter Biden would have been allowed to plead to two misdemeanor tax offenses and enter into a pre-trial diversion agreement on a gun charge. And, And that's partially why I think Ben Weingarten and other people, you know, uh, Miranda Devine, Molly Hemingway, a lot of people on social media right now are focusing on Judge Narika because the further out you get from this, the more you realize, first of all, how insane that plea deal was. This blanket immunity for all of these crimes. And we're not even this is, as Margot Cleveland pointed out, this is the low hanging fruit of the crimes. But this was blanket immunity. And second of all, how insane it is, given the corruption we've seen and given how how often these people fall in line with the president and all of his agencies. It's unbelievable that this judge didn't rubber stamp it. If all of these awards meant anything, this judge and those two IRS whistleblowers would be would be written up in every single paper. They would be, they'd be like the new Dr. Fauci. They'd be getting awards. The pillows would be made of them. But uh, most, I would, I would, I would venture to say that most Americans, if you ask them who, like if you said Judge Narika, they wouldn't even know who that is. Gary Shapley, they wouldn't know. Jonathan Ziegler, they wouldn't know.
And it's not even their fault. The media doesn't cover it. 844-500-4242. Still waiting, Jared. Has Liz McGill officially been fired? She officially stepped down? She has not. The latest is that she's expected to resign today. Uh, so, fired. Yes, yes. Um, okay, well, looking forward to that. She's going to resign <laughs> with extreme prejudice. Looking forward to that. Um, when we come back, we'll play you some more sound here um, from the coverage of this indictment, this 56-page indictment of Hunter Biden and what it means for Joe, if anything. We'll take more of your calls as well. You know, it's it's chilly out, Jared. Ooh, it was cold this morning. But what I love now is when I'm driving in, I know I'm going to turn on my Gen 40 when I get into the office. And it's going to feel like I have a little fireplace in my office because it just it's the combination, Jared, of the infrared and the convective heat. It combines to create this really warm heat that's not drying. It's not like it's blowing hot air at you. And it really makes you feel cozy. And my favorite part is I don't have to go back and forth with you anymore about the thermostat. If I, you, you don't have to look at me and say, Grace, everyone's sweating in the office now because you have it so hot. I can just turn on my heater keep to myself yeah and the, the gen 40 is really great because like most of eden pure's heaters um they have a really kind of cool mid-century looking design almost like uh it looks like a piece of furniture with like the wood paneling effect and some nice you know dark surfaces where it is um so you can actually just you can keep it in the room and it doesn't look like this ugly out of place thing there you can keep it in there it looks it matches the decor and you can keep it there because it's safe around pets it's safe around kids there's no exposed heating elements it doesn't you know get hot you're not going to have to worry about you know getting burned with it you're also not going to have to worry about getting blasted out of the room because like you said the convective heat is what really warms the room and that way you also don't have to heat up the entire house if you're not going to be in the dining room until christmas you don't have to you know waste your oil or waste your gas by cranking it up to be really warm in one room and then, you know, nobody's in the other room where it's warm. Yeah, you're going to save money and you're going to reduce your heating bills. And what I love about Eden Pure is if you if I were in charge of Eden Pure, I would say, "Listen, everyone loves this product. It's getting cold out. Let's crank up the price. Let's crank up the price. Let's crank up the shipping." But instead, this is what they're doing for my listeners. They're going to give you $50 off the already low sale price if you use code GRACE50. And you're going to get free shipping. So I don't know what's going on with these guys, why they're feeling so generous. Maybe it's the Christmas spirit, but they're going to give you $50 off the already low sale price and free shipping with code GRACE50. So all you have to do is go to EdenPureDeals.com. That's EdenPureDeals.com. Don't forget to use code GRACE50. Again, don't forget to use code GRACE50 for the Gen 40 heater. We'll be right back. The Grace Curly Show will be right back. This is the Grace Curley Show. Welcome back, everyone, to the Grace Curley Show. We have a really fun two o'clock hour planned. We'll continue to talk about all of this breaking news with Hunter Biden, but we are bringing in Emma Foley to give us a little bit of a roundup with Last Call. You know what I was thinking today, though? So remember last week, Fetterman was on The View, and Fetterman's just been knocking it out of the park lately. 
And Fetterman was asked about George Santos, the fabulous George Santos, who we love here. And he was pointing out the hypocrisy that, listen, we just booted out George Santos for, you know, lying about how he landed on the moon. And meanwhile, we got Bobby Menendez, who's in the Senate, who's, who's a senator for Egypt and not New Jersey. But what I would say to Fetterman, and if Fetterman comes out with this next, I don't know, Jared, I'm going to need a fainting couch. But you could also say, Fetterman, you're worried about Bobby Menendez when what he did compared to what Hunter Biden did. I mean, it's child's play. It's nothing compared to Hunter Biden. I would say Hunter Biden greater than Bobby Menendez greater than George Santos. That's how it works. That's the equation. We'll be right back with more. Don't go anywhere. Strong. Merry Christmas. Here. 